I'm Jeff Cohen. Shannon Newson is a Torah observant Jew, but she wasn't always. In fact, her path to observance is one of the more unusual ones I've ever heard of. It began with her work as a Christian evangelist. But I don't want to give away the entire story, so let's jump right in and let her tell it. Shannon, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you for having me. So let's jump right in. Tell me where your story begins. Where were you born and raised? I am a proud Southern Belle from the other Lone Star State. I was raised in Houston, Texas. Okay, and tell me about your family from a religious perspective. How were you How were you raised? How did you grow up? I would say I grew up in a typical evangelical Christian home, although probably a little more religious than most, simply because my parents took on a leadership role within the church. Because of that, whenever the doors of the church were open, we were there. And as a preacher's kid, there's a certain sense of responsibility and an expectation to be involved in everything that's going on. Education-wise, knowing the Bible was very important and being active in God's plan for the world was a big focus in my upbringing. I loved my church. I loved my pastor. He was like a, a father to me. All of my relationships in the church were precious, and the role that I took as a Christian was was uh, very serious to me. So I'm wondering, given where we know your story is going to head later, did you know any Jewish people as a child, either secular or observant? Were they part of your world? Knowing any Jews? No, not as a child. The only Jews that I knew as a child were those that were in the church, and uh, they were a pretty big deal. I didn't understand until later in life why they were important, uh, but they were always held in high esteem. In fact, I remember several times that our pastor would invite a Jewish person to lead the congregation through a, uh, a Passover Seder. And the fact, just the simple fact that they were Jewish was a big wow. And I know as your story unfolds, we're going to get into the importance of this. So, But let's slow down for a moment and talk about your teen years. So I know that you're saying Christianity was very important to you. What were some of the ways you were getting more involved as you hit uh, through adolescence and those teen years? As a teen, I, I think uh, because my whole world was the church, naturally that's where I sought to find a place and to make my impact. The church places a strong emphasis on allowing yourself to be used as a vessel of God and fulfilling whatever God's purpose is. Evangelism being the core of evangelical Christianity, of course, I, uh, I felt that that's what I was meant to do. I started the first Christian student union in my high school. I would invite my peers to church. I volunteered as a prayer counselor. When my father would teach to the main congregation, I would speak to youth groups, things like that. So did all of this involvement influence where you went to college and what you chose to study? No, actually, my course of study was very different. The college I went to is uh, nothing significant. It was a community college in Texas. I studied journalism, photography, which was a hobby for me. And then I took technical training in computer software, Microsoft programs. That was just a, a way to make a living. I am an ordained minister, even an ordained rabbi, not through any Jewish organization. Uh, but those are not titles I go by. You don't have to call me doctor. Okay, so let's go back to the college years. You married young, so does that mean you, you met your husband while you were in college or you knew him from when you were growing up? No, I met my husband as a teenager, you know, at 18 and, and had a child shortly after. So I understand your missionary work 
evolves as you become an adult. So tell me about what you're doing as you've had your first child, you're married. How is the missionary work changing at this point in your life? As an adult, my home church morphed into more of a messianic Hebrew roots type of a congregation. There was a focus on Jewish symbols and icons. The fundamentals of our beliefs were still very much the same, but the focus was more on observing Christianity as we thought Jesus would have observed it as a Jew. The evangelizing focus in Messianic Judaism takes a very obsessive turn towards Jews, which comes from the teachings of Paul, whereas typical Christianity has a very world focus to preach the gospel to the whole world. Paul's focus and teachings are to bring the gospel first to the Jewish people, almost to the exclusion of Gentiles. So I would say that my missionary work as an adult took a very passionate turn towards the Jewish people, uh, and that required a whole new way of learning, a new way of evangelizing that I wasn't familiar with as a child, so it, it changed as an adult. So I imagine as you're talking to Jews, some of them are secular, some of them are observant. How is your message doing well or not so well with different levels of observance? Well, the first focus in in being a missionary to Jews is to gain access to the Jewish people. And that was easiest through the JCC, because somehow you have to penetrate the Jewish world. The way I did that was by attending classes in the JCC, I would volunteer for events. Uh, There happens to be no screening process for this. And began frequenting kosher restaurants. After a while, you simply become a known face in the community and you're recognized. So getting access to Jewish people was that, that first step, which wasn't very hard. And I encountered all different levels of Jews in those environments. Mostly at first, the less affiliated more secular Jews uh, that I would encounter at the JCC. The Orthodox Jews who might have a more of an education in Judaism could be more likely to challenge what you're trying to share with them versus an unaffiliated person who maybe doesn't have a lot of knowledge and sees you as someone giving them information, maybe even for the first time in their life. So did you see that difference? I did. There's different ways to approach different types of Jews. Actually, there's there's three very significant hurdles that you face as a missionary to the Jewish people, and you don't face those same hurdles in the Jewish world. And it really depends uh, not only on the level of observance or how affiliated they are, but it applies to every Jew. That first one is we have the the hurdle of, of the history of the church with the Jewish people. Throughout history, the church hasn't exactly earned itself a great reputation among the Jews. We have uh, expulsions, we have pogroms, we have inquisitions, the Holocaust. So to bring Jews to Christianity, you really have to learn how to completely change your terminology and how to package Jesus in a more friendly, appropriate way for a Jew that won't send them running. The Messianic congregations don't outwardly display crosses. They refer to Jesus as Yeshua. They don't call themselves Christians. They call themselves Bible believers. They call their congregations uh, messianic synagogues, and even though they're ordained through mainstream denominations, they'll often take on the title rabbi rather than reverend or pastor, and they call the New Testament the Brit Chadashah. And that is like the number one hurdle, which is really all about the marketing. It's the same product, just a new label. 
the second hurdle that you have to get past is is Jewish pride, and this applies to all types of Jews in general, even Jews that know very little about the Jewish faith. They tend to be very proud of their Jewish identity. They're proud of their culture, and many will tell you, I was born a Jew, I'll die a Jew. Getting past this hurdle is also a little bit of marketing or changing the perspective. And the way I would overcome this one is say, you're not converting to another religion. You're not becoming a Christian. After all, Jesus was Jewish. The, the disciples were Jewish. You're not becoming a Christian. You're becoming a fulfilled Jew, a, a completed Jew, a messianic Jew, accepting Jesus as the Jewish Messiah is the most Jewish thing you can do. And then uh, probably what you're talking about with the Orthodox Jews is the third problem that you have to overcome, and that is the intellectual problem. Jews, even even the less affiliated Jews, not just the Orthodox, even if you just have a Hebrew school um, or in Israel a, a public school education, Jews tend to be more knowledgeable and at least have a basic knowledge of, of the Jewish Bible. So in being a missionary to more knowledgeable Jews, you have to be able to show them Jesus in their own Bible. And that means knowing how to prove that Jesus fulfilled all of the messianic prophecies. So uh, I happen to have a knack for memorizing, so I memorized every one of the prophecies that I had learned that were fulfilled by Jesus and the the verses in Tanakh that proved those. Unfortunately, I was successful on all three of these fronts with secular and, and unaffiliated Jews. Reaching the Jews that I would encounter at the JCC wasn't so much of a problem. Uh, my problem came about because I happened to be attracted to the Orthodox world. The Orthodox world fascinated me. I would watch Orthodox Jews and their dedication and their commitment to God. I couldn't understand how somebody could be so religious but not know Jesus. And the more I learned about Orthodox Jews and watched them from a distance, the more I fell in love with them. I couldn't imagine, in, in my space as, as a missionary, I couldn't imagine anything more beautiful than bringing somebody that seemed to be so connected to God already to their Jewish Messiah. Yeah. And as you can imagine, that didn't go over so well with from Jews. I would imagine as you start meeting more and more observant Jews, and you're trying to find a way to connect with them, it would lead you to study at a deeper level the very things that they're studying so that you can speak their language. But that the more that you'd be studying it, you might have to re-examine some of your own beliefs because you're learning more and more information about religion, and you have to connect it back to what you believe. So I'm wondering if you went through that experience. Well, obviously we know the ending, so I did. But uh, that wasn't so easy in the beginning because I'm pretty darn stubborn. I was very dedicated to what I was doing, and I didn't doubt Christianity at all. I was very committed and connected to the church. In my eyes, Jesus was absolutely the Messiah, and I could prove that. And all it was going to take was getting a Jew to actually look at the text and 
if I could get them to engage with me and even look at it, that they would definitely see Jesus in the passages just as I did. I, I had no doubt. I was I was very firm in my faith and, and very committed. But they didn't make it easy on me. In fact, they would often taunt me. They loved to make fun of me. They would see me coming from a mile away and be ready for me. And they would say things that I thought were absolutely crazy. They would tell me that I was mistranslating things, that I was taking things out of context, or uh, that what I was saying was in there wasn't in there. I, I thought it was absolutely absurd. And I would yell back at them, you're just regurgitating what your rabbis are telling you. And if you'll just look at it, you'll see. I would quote specific verses, and they would ask me, well, what do the verses around that say? Which threw me off, because I didn't see why that was relevant. A famous one is Isaiah 53. I would quote Isaiah 53, and they would say, well, what does Isaiah 52 say? Or what does Isaiah 54 say? You know, the surrounding texts, which I said, that's totally irrelevant. Why does it matter what the verses around it say when it's Isaiah 53 that I say talks about Jesus? So uh, it was very frustrating. But I did get to a point that I thought, this isn't working. And I did get tired of being made fun of and and the taunting. I was convinced that maybe I need to look at it a little differently, that I need to find another way to present this because it wasn't, wasn't going well. So I went back and decided I was going to learn not just the verse that I was taught fulfilled the prophecy of Jesus, but I'm going to learn the whole chapter that surrounds it, or sometimes if I need to, the whole book of what I was quoting. And that's kind of where things started to fall apart. It didn't work out so well for me. Suddenly, when you read things in context, they weren't fitting so well. I was confused, and honestly, at some points, some of the things I was finding, I was, I was downright scared because I wasn't able to make these things work. And it, it sort of shook the foundation of what I believed and was so committed to. I kept going back to the Orthodox Jews, but the tables were slowly turning, and I started asking them about the text and asking them to tell me what the Hebrew said. And that's where, at one point, an Orthodox Jew introduced me to an audio series by Rabbi Tobia Singer, which now is, is free online. He thought that maybe I was ready to see the errors in my ways. I looked at what he gave me, and I thought that I had hit the jackpot, because what he gave me was the Jewish response to Christian missionaries. So rather than looking at it as, as I need to learn and educate myself, I thought this was the perfect opportunity to really reach them this time, because this was the cue cards that they were using against me. These were the answers and all the responses that they were using on me. And if I could destroy their rabbi, if I could really tear apart everything this rabbi says and counter him, then I'd be able to get through to these Jews and I could bring them to Jesus that way. So I, I set out to learn the arguments that this rabbi was teaching and, uh, was ready to tear him apart, and um, and I thought it was going to be a piece of cake, and uh, it wasn't. My entire world crumbled, and 
I'm not exaggerating when I say these tapes were an atomic bomb in, in my life. It, it really was. I couldn't counter the rabbi, not a single argument. One by one, he completely destroyed every one of those prophecies that I was so determined were, were right. And he was right in every one of them. And I realized that the Christian Bible had purposely mistranslated verses to make them appear Christological. And the verses that I knew by heart, they completely fell apart. They didn't mean what I thought they meant. And I felt betrayed. I felt lied to. I asked, how could the church be that evil? And for somebody like me, it was a full-on religious and emotional crisis. It was traumatic to discover that he was nothing more than an imaginary friend. It was beyond painful, really unbearable. Did you talk to a pastor or to your family about how you were feeling at this point? I was involved in a, a missionary training program at the time. I did try going to the teachers there, and I went to my pastor, and I ended up getting the same response from each person I went to, which was basically, it doesn't have to make sense. And if you continue to question and, and this is rocking the whole foundation of what you're believing, then you have more of a problem. You lack faith. I wasn't making the text work. The fundamentals of my belief weren't meshing anymore, but I, I had faith. So I wasn't getting the answers from the pastors or the teachers. And that's a big difference in Christianity. They don't question. You learn, and if things don't make sense, you just you follow blindly, which is, is the, I've found is the opposite in Judaism. How does Judaism now enter into the picture as a possible solution to how you're feeling? I mustered up the courage to call the rabbi whose lessons I was learning because it, there was a question that I just had to know. So I got on the phone, and probably not so nice. I was probably sort of angry, and I asked, who was Jesus? And somehow the rabbi knew that I needed more than just that answer. And I went on crying, and he stopped me and said, you've just discovered that Jesus is not the Jewish Messiah but God is still very much there for you. You're trying to find a way to file him away and make sense of it, but that's the bottom line. If he wasn't the Messiah, then nothing else is relevant, nothing else matters, but God is still very much there for you. Um, he cares for you and he loves you, and he hasn't gone anywhere. You just don't need a mediator. You can go to him directly. What he said was powerful, and it made sense. It was very simple, but it was powerful, uh, and that was what I needed to hear. From that point on, I said, I, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm only going to learn truth. I, I want to go back to the beginning. I want to learn Torah, and I want to learn it unfiltered, which isn't so easy for somebody like me, whose entire belief system was something completely different. So are you learning at this point? I connected to online resources. Uh, there's a lot of online resources. You know, I'm not Jewish at the time, so I was a little scared to go to a, an actual shul. I did 
have friends in the Jewish community because I, I was part of the JCC and and had made friends. So I would attend a conservative uh, shul. I would go to the reform shul sometimes more as a social connection, not so much for learning. I did end up going to a Chabad house late at night on Shabbos. I came to a Chabad house and I went in. That whole thing of they're supposed to turn you away is very real. Of course, I came in saying, hey, I, I came from Christianity. My my father's a minister, but I want to convert to Judaism. And uh, he turned me away. I came back. When I came back, I decided to tell that I really feel connected to Judaism in a big way, and I really want to learn Torah from scratch. I have completely let go of all of my Christian beliefs, and I just want to learn Torah if you'll allow me to learn here with you. He asked about my family, and I had said that I was studying my my genealogy and that my mother seems to have been from a Jewish line and that I have a Jewish great-grandmother, although they had converted uh, to Catholicism a couple generations back, but uh, through my maternal line, there seems to be some Jewish roots that I was looking into. And he softened a little bit and said, while you're looking into your genealogy, I'll invite you to learn the Parsha every week at this. They have a, a small lunch and learn thing. So I, I started going to that, and that was my first real learning experience in an orthodox environment besides learning online. And I kept going back and I kept pushing. He kept pushing back and saying no. And eventually he gave me the number to the baiting and told me that I could connect to them and, and ask the process for entering the conversion process. And I did. So I imagine there was a interesting conversation with your parents when you got into this all the way up to the point of converting. So what was it like telling your mother and father about this uh, change in religious beliefs and this plan to convert? I would say I was a scaredy cat. I did not do that right away. I for sure did not do that right away. I was learning on my own. I was doing things for quite a while by myself. I actually hid many of the books when they would come over. I had a, a ritual that I would go to as soon as they were going to come over, I, I had all my books in one place and I would turn them backward or I knew everything that had to be fixed before they could walk in. And I kept that up for, for quite a while. They understood that I was uh, learning more about the Jewish traditions and the Jewish roots of, they thought, Christianity. Uh, my son started wearing a kippah, he was wearing tzitzitz, and we were going to a conservative shul, and then I was learning with the Chabad in the Orthodox world. And I'd, I had actually already met with the Beit Din and had formally entered the conversion process and had still not told them. There was one instance where my father was coming over, and he had called me, and I wasn't anywhere close to home. I was on my way home, and I had happened to be learning all day that day, so he didn't just find one thing. My father found everything. It was all like laid out for him. I didn't have a chance to put it away. So when I got there, he had quite a bit of time to see it and go through it. And I walked into him. He had a very disturbed look on his face, and he was ready to lecture. I sat down, and he said, yep, you need to talk to me. I see what you're learning. 
and he's a detective with the sheriff's department besides being a a minister and he said you've changed the way you dress you changed the way you eat i see what you're looking at you're getting into a cult and we need to learn together and i need to bring you back my father i have tremendous respect for my father i uh didn't want to hurt him or offend him so i said sure okay we'll learn together I have a lot of questions. I've been looking into a lot of things. Maybe you can answer some of these questions. And I gave him the same series that I had learned and told him to take a look at it. I think it's like a 24-part lecture series, and they're like at least 30 minutes to an hour each. So I thought that would give me like a good week or two to like process things and and get the courage to like tell him everything. But he stayed the night that night and I didn't sleep because I heard heard that rabbi's voice just, you know, in the next room all night long. And I was like, everything that I heard the rabbi say, I was just dreading, oh my gosh, what does he think about that? What does he think about that? And you know, how does, how's he going to answer that? And I was coming up with all of the ways that he was going to argue with me and try to present another perspective. And then at three o'clock in the morning, he knocked on my door and asked if I was awake. And of course, I was like sitting on the edge of my bed scared. So I was awake and he came in and he sat on the edge of my bed and he was absolutely silent. He looked at the wall in this catatonic state which really threw me off. And I was like, Daddy, what's going on? He said, that rabbi was right. He's right about everything. He said, I took my Bible in there, and I was comparing everything that he said, and I was looking to disprove things, and I can't. He's right about everything. And then he described how the rug had just been pulled out from under him, and what do I do with this information? I explained that was exactly where I was at and that I was learning from scratch and that I had decided I'm going to enter the conversion process. I'm going to convert to Judaism. At first, he considered that. Eventually, he told me, I'm too old for this. It is enough for me to put it behind me and say that I don't subscribe to that anymore. But to learn a whole new culture, a new religion, a new language, that's just too much. So... Is for a long time uh, has identified as a as a B'nai Noach. What happens with your husband and kids as you're going through this conversion? How do they feel about this? At that point, I had divorced, and I was a single mom with two kids. So it was really just me and my kids. My kids were very, very young. They actually loved it. They clinged onto it. And uh, my son, in many ways... He grew long peyot, and he became the Shabbos police around the house, and this is kosher, and that's not kosher. And he was he was very involved in Chabad. He went to the, the Hebrew school. I, I became more involved in, in Chabad at that time. We were not, at the beginning, living in a Jewish community. Another Chabad rabbi that I had connected to allowed us to move in every Shabbat so that we could observe Shabbat. Uh, we slept on, we had mattresses that we slept on the Chabad classroom floors uh, every Shabbat until it was time I, I had to move physically into the Jewish community. So where did you move at that point? In Houston, there's a, a couple 
Orthodox communities. I moved into uh, an Orthodox community that's more yeshivish. I, I went there. So you're in Houston, but I know that today you're talking to me from Israel. So there must come a point where you decide uh, we're going to take this journey one step further and I'm going to relocate. So I'm curious about the decision to move to Israel and the organization you got involved in now that you're there. Right. The conversion process was not so easy. It was four years long. Converting as a single person with children is complicated. Uh, It took a long time. When I did finally finish the conversion process, I I met my husband. I always wanted to live in Israel. I I wanted to be in Israel. I was working at first with with one counter-missionary organization and then was connected with Eretz Sheva in Israel and then began volunteering and working with another counter-missionary organization, which was based in Israel. So I definitely had a passion for Israel, visited Israel, and wanted to be in Israel. And I met my husband, who also wanted to be in Israel, whose whole family was already living in Israel, had made Aliyah many years before. So uh, we married almost a year after my conversion had ended. We married in Hebron. We're in our 12th year. We moved to Israel in six years ago. So tell me a little more about the counter-missionary work. It's so fascinating to me as someone who was really like playing for the other team. So what does that work like? I think when you, when it all falls apart and you see what was wrong with Christianity and you see what was wrong with what you were trying to do and how destructive it is to bring a Jew to Jesus... I had some undoing to do. I was unfortunately successful in converting Jews to Christianity, and I felt terrible about that. Once I got into the Jewish world, realized that in many ways, Jewish people have no idea the agenda, especially when it came to the Christian Zionist movement, the evangelicals, uh, and their support for Israel. Many Jews had no problem fully embracing Christianity, and uh, there was a very big kumbaya-type atmosphere in a lot of things, the Jewish-Christian relationship and building bridges and where there are best friends, there are allies, which to a certain point is okay and, and good in some ways, but I was seeing a lot of blurring of the lines and... Um, crossing the lines of theological debates and meshing of Judaism and Christianity and and let's bring everything together that I felt was dangerous and I, I felt that the Jews were just naive and that they don't know what the real agenda underneath this is because something that they don't know is that Judaism is looked at very different than the Jewish people. And I don't think Jews realize that. The New Testament portrays Jews in a very bad light. They are the ultimate bad guys in the, throughout the New Testament. So that's just how they're portrayed. They're blind. They're legalistic. They are uh, cruel. They're Christ killers. And the only redeeming factor in evangelical Christianity is the premillennial dispensationalism that's taught and that is all about the role that a Jew plays in the end times. The teachings of Paul tell them to bring to the Jews first, and it is the Jews' acceptance of Jesus in mass that bring about the second coming. And that is very much something they're dedicated to. So they love you specifically because of that role. 
So there was one story that I came across when I was doing some some research about you. There was a story on Aish that involved uh, Michael Elk. And I'm curious, just as one example, if you can talk about your involvement of that and what you learned about that situation. That is the most recent endeavor that I've taken on. I established a nonprofit organization. It's uh, I don't say it's countermissionary. It's it's in the countermissionary field. I could never do what uh, people like Rabbi Tobia Singer or Rabbi Skobek or the rabbis that are involved in countermissionary work and countering the text and exit counseling. I could never do that. But I did find a role that I could help the Jewish people in, and that is because I know that world. I know the language. I know the tactics. I was good at them myself. And I, I felt that the Jewish people just need to know the agenda behind it and that Christians are not evil people. And that's one of the first things that people say is, but I know a Christian and they're very nice. They're very sweet. And of course they are. They're not evil people. They're very sincere. They're very loving. And their love comes from a sincere place, but not without a purpose. And because of my background, I can expose that purpose And it started out with uh, collecting this information at Christian events online and then take it to Jewish leadership or people who were partnering or working with Christians and say, there's something you should know about the organization that you're working with and pull up their YouTube channel or, or their newsletter and say, look, they're converting Holocaust survivors and they're targeting our, our soldiers and in New Olim and they're going after the poor and the needy and, and the widows. They're approaching orphanages and we're giving them access to the most vulnerable people in the Jewish world and they have an agenda and this is probably something you need to be aware of and this isn't a good thing and you're taking huge risks here. So that is, I, I found my, my niche in the Jewish world, which is why I founded Benenu. And case after case, we've successfully exposed the agenda. More recently, there's been case after case of covert missionaries, which has reached a level that the Jewish world has never seen before. The specific case that you just mentioned was uh, Michael Elk, who changed his name to Elk Cohen when he moved to Israel and took on this persona of a rabbi, a uh, Kohen, a Mohel. He was a Sofer Stam. He created quite a reputation and was influential in the Jewish world. And then uh, we disclosed that he wasn't Jewish at all and uh, that he was, in fact, a Christian missionary. So imagine you have advice for a Jewish person who doesn't even realize this could be happening, who could innocently, from their perspective, be approached by a missionary and not even realize that they're potentially being convinced of something. What advice do you have for someone who ends up in this dynamic about how to rebut the claims of what they're hearing if they end up interacting with a missionary? What you said is is important. They often don't know it. And if you're a good missionary, you don't know it. My whole goal of being part of the JCC and volunteering as a greeter at Jewish events was just to engage with Jews and befriend them. It's called bridge style evangelism. It's called friendship evangelism, relationship evangelism. 
And I talk to many Jews who say, I am friends with so many Christians and I've never been evangelized. And I bet they have. If you don't know how to engage with a missionary or you're not so knowledgeable, I wouldn't suggest doing it. I would steer away from it altogether unless you, unless you know what you're doing. And if this is something you want to learn about it, there's a tremendous need for counter-missionaries. So if, if this is something that people want to learn, I know the rabbis involved with this are, are desperate for people to take over and join because we have very few people who do this, and I know the ones who do are overwhelmed and do this 24-7 exit counseling and bringing Jews out of the church. Thank God. So I'm just wondering... What's next for you over the next few years, both in terms of the Benenu organization and also your own Jewish journey? What do you hope happens organizationally and for you personally over the next few years? I would like Benenu uh, to become uh, more involved on a lot of fronts. I would like to see more counter-missionaries in the world to help combat this issue. I would like a lot more awareness to be brought about the issue. I would like journalists to be educated on the issue. I would like to see legislation. And I don't know if it'll ever happen, but I would like to see a respect between Christians and Jews because Christians don't see it as not respectful, crossing that boundary, that line of missionizing. And I I do believe that we can have support from Christians and that they have a role that they can play. There's Pastor John Hagee, who does a tremendous job at rallying support for the state of Israel and the Jewish people. He will get thousands to march to Washington in support of legislation change and combat anti-Semitism. Those are really great, powerful ways that Christian Zionists and B'nai Noach can contribute to the Jewish people. But when it comes to missionizing, proselytizing, or targeting us for conversion, they need to understand the sensitivities and how wrong that is to us and how devastating it is when a Jew converts to Christianity, the destruction that it brings to the families. There needs to be a respect for those boundaries and not cross that line. Shannon, I want to thank you for just being so open honest, authentic, and and sharing your story. So before I let you go, I'm going to ask you a few super fast questions. We call it our lightning round, okay? Okay. Question number one. What is your favorite kosher food that has a little hint of your Texas roots in it? Oh, wow. That's easy. A bacon cheeseburger from Crave or Burger Shack. And it's a big thing in Israel, and it's awesome. Wait a minute. You just said a bacon cheeseburger. That doesn't sound kosher to me, but I'm, I'm guessing there's more to the story. You know what? We have so many Jews coming from so many backgrounds, and we have amazing French bakeries because there's a huge French aliyah. We have so many balichuva who know what a bacon cheeseburger is, and people like me who know what a bacon cheeseburger is, and they are definitely kosher, and they use lamb bacon, and they use fake cheese. There's a lot of food options that cater to everybody. Tell me a book you'd recommend for someone who's struggling to come to grips with their religious beliefs. I would say the first book that needs to be read is the Let's Get Biblical book and the audio series that uh, takes you through the progression of of understanding the fallacies in Christianity and Jesus is the Jewish Messiah 
And then once you get through that, I liked Gateways to Judaism, and I loved the Jewish book of why, and that really goes through all of the whys behind the rituals and traditions that we do to understand the meaning behind it and how beautiful it is, and it just makes doing even the simplest thing more beautiful when you know what's behind it. Great. And last question. You have a few days free to travel a vacation somewhere in Israel. Where's your favorite place to go? I am a Texas girl all the way to my roots, and the cold is not fun. So right now it would be the Dead Sea and a lot, but in the summer, maybe, maybe Sfat. Sfat's very spiritual and very beautiful. And I, but I spend most of my time in Jerusalem. So again, I'm going to say uh, it's hard to pick. I love it all. The, the land of Israel is just, every place is holy. Shannon, you are officially out of the lightning rounds. And I just want to say <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today on Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you so, so much. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our executive producer is Rabbi David Pardo. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit tachlismedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at tachlismedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.